0: Hello, my friends. Hello, my life warriors, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to the Day In, Day Out podcast. Today on episode two thirty five, I was very lucky to have uh, Sam Mafra uh, on the podcast. He is a marketing manager. He works for a company called ooh, uh, Farfetch. We talked about many a thing uh, on the podcast today. Oh my god! Oh, like if you were, if you were kind of intrigued about how. How marketing works on these big tech companies. This is the podcast for you. Uh, we talked about how, like, yeah, advert- how they use targeting uh, for advertising. We talked about how, like, yeah, they can build and correlate your data into like different places and, like, yeah, some of the techniques, the new techniques which are coming into place as the realm of cookies is going to the realm of the dinosaurs. All I've got to say, yeah. Also, he mentioned we went into a little bit of detail how he turned 400 pounds into 75,000 pounds. Uh, just like madness to me, madness, amazing. All I've got to say is much knowledge was like passed on this podcast today. So sit back, enjoy it, and yeah, enjoy the show. Yeah, baby, peace. Ha ha. Oh, yeah. Oh hello my friends hello my life warriors wherever you are in the world welcome to the day in day out podcast Woo! today on episode 235 i am honored privileged to have sam Mafaru on the podcast he is a technology manager and um, a little bit of an entrepreneur you could say uh Fragrance here, fragrance here. And yeah. Welcome to the show. How are you today, sir?
1: Yeah, thanks a lot. Um, yeah, I'm good. Thank you. It's nice and sunny in Leicester. I've had a very busy week. I work at a company called Farfetch, which is a luxury fashion marketplace. And it's always really busy, really fun, full yeah. of interesting things to work on.
0: Farfetch. Now you know what I have never been on Farfetch, but like this is the thing. Like tech like, is it more tech rather than sort of high street fashion?
1: So what it does it connects boutiques up with a platform for them to sell their products. So instead of Farfetch owning their stock, they have boutiques owning stock. Now it's a little bit more complicated because Farfetch have some stock because they own a couple of companies. But in short they have boutiques upload their products onto the website to sell their products. So instead of you going to the boutiques across the world in Milan or London or France Paris. Yeah. Those boutiques connect up into Farfetch as a tech platform to sell. So kind of like an eBay or an Amazon for luxury boutiques to build their brand by selling through the platform as well as selling in stores
0: yeah i get it. it's like you as you said like okay you said ebay amazon but like it sounds more like etsy to me if you go I ermy mean.
1: yeah yeah it's quite techy it's a it's a, tech, it's a tech company and that's why everybody there's full of very uh tech heavy backgrounds so from facebook or google or mm-hmm. amazon and they go to and from facebook google and amazon from Farfetch. It's, i see it, it sees itself as one of those one of those types of companies. So a very tech heavy company. And before I joined, I thought it'd be you know more like a, a selfish sort of company, but now I understand it's more techy. So mm. everybody talks about tech and how do we get the best algorithms to show customers the best products based on what they like. So you like that hoodie. How do we show you similar hoodies to that? But at the same time, luxury fashion is around exactly what you want to buy. So you don't want to buy something different than a Gucci hat. You want that exact Gucci hat. So the algorithms which, are, which give you recommendations need to be very smart because you can't recommend a different hat because people want that exact hat. Mm. So if they can't get that hat, they have, to, um, they have to look elsewhere outside of Farfetch. And Farfetch as a brand offers big brands like Gucci or Prada or Off-White. People go to Farfetch to buy those brands. So the challenge is, how does Farfetch establish its own brand identity because it sells these big brands, do people go to Farfetch for Farfetch, or do they go to Farfetch for the big brands? So that's the challenge as well, because it's not an off it's not an offline brand. It doesn't have offline stores. It doesn't have physical stores. It doesn't have handbags which have Farfetch all over it. It doesn't have pop ups in London high streets.
0: Mm, that must be tricky, because like this is the thing. Yeah. Okay, now Farfetch, you go, yeah, Farfetch, and like look, I'm look, I'm not a man of like Gucci, like. Nike is my brand and stuff yeah. like this. But like when you go, yeah, Gucci and everything like this, it might be very sort of commonplace. Like go, yes, you know Farfetch, yeah. we go there all the time. But trying to get that sort of name out there on the sort of greater like sort of like spectrum, it's like, it sounds like to me, you've got, got a few million sort of people which go there on a regular basis. I, am I wrong or am I inflating
1: those numbers? You like... Yeah, I would say, I'd say so because... The turnover is in the billions, so it definitely is so. And the the company is absolutely huge. It owns Browns, it owns Stadium Goods. It has um, a ton of boutiques on the website. So we do have an app as well. So Farfetch sells a ton of products. It's a billion, billion, billion dollar company. And uh, it's grown, it it grew 76% during, no, 760%, I think, during COVID. During that year, it grew 760%.
0: Oh, that is, wow. Like, you know, yeah, a company one, yeah. I've never heard of until today. Like, wow, that is quite epic. Yeah. Now, So how did you get sort of into Farfetch'd in the first place? What was the journey like getting there?
1: Yeah. Okay, so I've worked in media for the whole of my career at the mm-hmm. university. And since I was a youngster, I always wanted to work in business and marketing because I love how people think I love psychology, but I also love product. And a product, for me, building your own product, a physical product, and selling it to somebody to meet their needs and desires is really interesting. So I did marketing at university. I got first class degree from Nottingham Trent University. I did a sandwich course and got loads of experience doing internships here and there. And then after uni, I decided I wanted to work for agencies. So I started off in a company called Mindshare. And then I worked at four of the big five media agency networks in the world. So I've gained experience across all of the big four out of the five. Wow. Now, after five to six years, I was thinking, okay, I've, I've been in media agencies. I want to try client side. Now, client side is obviously the companies that pay the agencies, a yes. client, right? So Farfetch being a client side company, very tech focused, and I'm a very tech focused person. But I'm also very e-commerce and retail focused. I've always loved fashion all my life. I love understanding um, what the biggest brands are, how you create value for a customer, And I understand that brands stem from two things, from branding your cattle and slaves. It comes from slavery or cattle. So wearing a brand, for me, I don't like to wear brands that have big logos on. I like to have subtlety in what I wear. So this T-shirt could be Gucci, it could be Louis Vuitton, it could be Zara, it could be Primark, you won't know, because it doesn't have a big logo on it. Now, I believe that style and fashion are very different. Style is forever, fashion is temporary. So style is this T-shirt's always going to be cool. Whereas fashion is, this T-shirt's going to be cool for this season or this year or the next two years until it goes out of fashion. Ah. Now style it. Go with the flares yeah.
0: and like the bell bottoms. Like, yeah. Like, I was going to say medallions. You got a medallion on, I'm going to leave you alone with that.
1: <laughs> this, is, this is forever because this is by a brand called Alighieri. And Alighieri, Dante um. Alighieri was a philosopher and a poet. Ah. So this is timeless for me. These are timeless. Anything to do with uh, jewelry, I think, is timeless as long as it's not too extravagant. And I think that gold is always a timeless thing anyway. So, bringing it back to your point around being in fashion and being in Farfet specifically, yeah. I saw a job opening on LinkedIn and I decided to apply for it. And at the time, I was like, okay, I probably won't get an interview because I'd never worked in fashion and uh, it's a very hard company to get into because I had a colleague who worked at Browns and she said it takes seven stages to get in. <laughs> then, I got, then I got an email from HR yeah. after, after applying to LinkedIn, right? And uh, they said, we, we love your CV. We want to have a phone call. Had an informal phone call. And then I got told I had to have a first interview, uh, a first stage interview with the growth marketing director. And growth marketing, if you don't know, growth marketing is um, growing the marketing function to make it more, uh, to have higher efficacy. So efficacy being efficiency and effectiveness at the same time. Mm -hmm. so growth marketing how do you grow marketing as a whole as a function cross channels so facebook google ads um, email how do you grow all of these different channels we've got 10 channels including private client how do you grow all of these channels for farfetch maximize your customer satisfaction maximize personalization with the customer maximize profit but also maximize their return rates how often they come back to the company etc so my role was marketing technology manager and marketing technology manager is marketing being how do you get a product out there in the marketplace Mm -hmm. advertising is how do you message people to show them that this product in the marketplace is worth it and they should buy it. So technology is the enabler of this, right? Technology underpins how you transmit your message across to these people. So I got into Farfetch after seven stages. Mm -hmm. I had to have, um, I had to apply on LinkedIn phone call with HR first interview task. I had to draw out the marketing tech diagram. Or what I believe a marketing ecosystem diagram looks like. Yeah. Then I had to do another interview with my colleague, another interview with the data manager, um, and then a final interview with uh, the hiring manager. I believe so. Uh, so four interviews, one task, an informal call with HR, and the LinkedIn application—a uh, LinkedIn um, application thing. So seven stages overall, and so to get into a company like Farfetch to take seven stages. Um, it's a pretty grueling process and it's very tiring, I and it's a lot of investment on your half, uh, on on your part. So um, when I got in, obviously I was, I was really really happy. I was like, wow, I got into Farfetch and it's it's crazy. And they have share offerings as well, so they offer the um, the employees shares when they join. So I've I, when when I when I joined, I got given one hundred and twenty five percent of my salary in shares as well. Whoa. And they and over time they give you. They they reassess every single year and they give you more shares or mm-hmm. they give you certain bonuses or whatever it may be based on the marketplace. What other companies are paying your positions and things like that? So it's a very good company in terms of that. It's see. a very innovative company because the the CEO um, Jose Neves is a Portuguese guy and he he's a billionaire himself based off this company. And it's it's only thirteen years old. The company
0: ah like this is the thing they've gone through their
1: most painful bits
0: of startup land
1: uh like yes like
0: uh, when i say startup land uh like the faking it till you make it sort of realm they've got past that and now they're sort of chugging along quite nicely yeah. um like exactly. with like just one sort of quick question about like your yeah. shares just like and i'll like, go back around like to one well, i want to get to are you allowed to like when you get your shares are you allowed to like go <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> Off I go. Sell them straight away, or do you have to like hold on to them for a significant amount
1: of time? Yeah, so it's called vesting, and that's a good question. It's called vesting. So mm-hmm. they vest your shares. So they over four years, you can vest twenty five percent per year. So they put all the shares into the system, ShareWorks, and every single year you can take twenty five percent of those shares out. So a quarter of the shares. Uh-huh. So to answer your question, you have to stay four years to take out all of those shares. So. Until you stay four years, you can't take out 100%. So let's say you get given £100. Every single year, you can take out £25. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, when you join, it might be £100, and it might drop down based on the market value um, to £50. So you're not guaranteed to take out the shares that are the value when you first joined, but you're still going to have the same physical volume of shares. So you get given, let's say, 500 shares. You'll still have 500 shares. Mm -hmm. But If they drop from £2 to £1, you've lost half of your money there. Ah, okay, so okay, that's how it works. It's got a vesting period of four years. Fair enough. Make sure you're committed. Don't take the money
0: and run. Yeah, <laughs> <Here's laughs> Oh, thank you very much. Exactly. Back to the Bahamas. It's a, it's a good strategy.
1: It's a good strategy because i worked in a lot of businesses and I've worked a lot uh, worked across a lot of clients. Yeah. And one of the key issues I've seen in workplaces is there's a lack of collegiality and collaboration, the, not because people don't want to be, but because of the motivations. Now, I'm reading, um, I, I read a ton of books. I'm reading a book at the moment called The High Performance um, Book by The High Performance Podcast. Um, uh, I can't remember the names of the authors again, Jake and um, this other guy who's a professor. Yes, and, I've listened to the audio book um, yeah. about, was it two, three weeks ago? Yeah, about three weeks ago. Yeah, it's a very yeah. good audio book. Is It's a very good book. I, I like to read books because reading a book means that you read it in two ways. You read it by seeing it and you read it by hearing it because your inner voice is telling you right so listening to a book is more of a passive way of reading in my opinion but seeing and reading the book and having it on your shelf at the end of the night before you go to bed triggers certain thought patterns so you might have 10 books and you see them and you scan them in your subconscious you scanned so you scanned all of those books in your mind and they stay in your mind the principles of the books or the things that you took out as key, key elements stay in your mind whereas in an audiobook you might have thousands of books on your phone but if you walk into a library and you see thousands of books, it makes you very inspired, right? Very focused on knowledge. And it reminds you why you have a library. Mm. Back to my point. Um, there are two ways to become motivated. You've got internal motivations and external motivations. Internal motivations being, I want to be successful. And there's a theory called self-determination theory. How self-determined are you? Are you determined because you love being determined to achieve your goal? Or are you determined because you're going to get some money at the end of the rainbow, right? And that's the reason why, Working at a company like Farfetch is great because I'm motivated myself, but I also have the shares. And maybe if I work really hard and I get certain performance bonuses, then I get more shares. So external and internal motivations work together. In certain companies, people don't have that motivation because they have their own team with their own goals and yeah. there's another team with, with other goals. But what companies need to do is understand the common denominator across all teams and what the internal and external motivations are of all, all of all staff at a basic Um, fundamental level but also idiosyncrasies so unique unique differences between people and what different people want as motivation some people just want to work hard and want to be successful by Mm. really working hard other people have you know work-life balance as their focus and their family time as, as a as a motivation so you have to figure out the the nuances between people but you also have to they're all on the same boat they're all on the same ship towards the same destination so how do you make them work together that's an important one for me. Well, yes,
0: that's a very tricky thing, which I think most psychological papers would have a field day in. Yeah. Uh, because like, this is the thing, when you like, oh, oh yeah, they give me 125% of my salary in shares, like, it immediately puts you like going, yeah, I have a stake in this company. Okay. Uh, rather than, look, uh, I would say 90, 90% of all companies around the world It's like, yes, you turn up for work, you get your wage. And not unless if you make him partner and that comes in certain different companies, which then you've got to buy in uh, to become a partner, you're not going to get a stake in that company. It's like you work your nine to five. If You work there for like, yeah, 25 years or however long you get your watch and you retire. Off you go. But this like, yeah, I imagine it definitely feels like you are actually building to something not just going to work i get that exactly vibe you.
1: And, and i've actually i've actually used that as a persuasive technique at work so i identified that there was an issue where people were uploading facebook content well facebook comments or uploading youtube content to correct myself and saying farfetch is fake and as a company you need to look at your social uh, all of the social proof online of why your brand is good and what people are saying about your brand so you need to have social listening at a fundamental level, you need to just observe on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter, what people are saying about your brand. Mm. On Facebook, people commenting saying Farfetch is, um, has bad delivery times, bad customer service, et cetera. But we weren't responding to that. On the other hand, on YouTube, people were saying that Farfetch has fake products and the sales are fake. Now, these videos were getting 34,000 views, 144 comments with dialogues, et cetera, threads. And I said to the global head of customer service, why are we not responding to these? Why are we? Why don't we have a, a a global strategy, right? A global strategy to respond to customers. And this, for me, triggered me to talk to that person. And during the conversation, I said, "Look, we will have shares in the company. It's in our best interests to make the company bigger. The bigger it becomes, and the better it becomes, and the more profit it makes, the more profit we make in our shares. Mm-hmm. So that share value is going to rise." And I said, "This is a uh, todos juntos, which which means working together mindset, uh, Portuguese word, Portuguese phrase." And after that discussion she said I was very inspiring and I inspired her so she got her boss involved and now I've initiated a few conversations between the app reviews them, customer service and loads of other teams around how like social media teams app teams global customer service teams how do you unify the way that you manage customers from call centers to social media to the app store how do you understand where to invest your time to respond to reviews mm. how you get better reviews how you skew the reviews to be better let's say for example if i know that you've only bought once i might not ask you for a review if you've bought five times and you buy every month i'm pretty sure you're going to give me a good review so maybe i should email only you or your sort of people who buy lots of times and therefore our trust pilot score is going to go up online trust pilots a good show 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 off sort of review platform for our brand right for uh, farfetch okay and because farfetch isn't as well known people sometimes think it's fake so we need some sort of verification some sort of authentication trust pilot would be a perfect example but trust pilot isn't um isn't a focal point of, of farfetch at the moment and the ratings aren't too good because i think we don't have the right strategy uh, strategy there so there's also something called net promoter score net promoter score is an internal rating system that customers give you and it allows you it's not an externally viewable um score from my knowledge uh, to my knowledge anyway you can use that score to understand where your customers are satisfied and dissatisfied and how to improve it so the two elements are trust pilot to show off yep. net promoter score to improve and when you're managing your customers as well with messages or what you want to recommend to them net promoter score plus their buying history indicates what you want to show them why would i pay for advertising to a person who's bought 10 times in the past 10 weeks and has given us a five-star rating. It makes no sense, it's a waste of money. They're already gonna buy anyway. Let's focus on the people who we need to acquire as new customers or try and get them to the next tier in the loyalty scheme, Mm. right? These sorts of questions are what I try and work on and think about, um, and I use technology to make that happen. So I'm looking at a tool at the moment, which is called a customer data platform. So all of your customer data in one place, But how do we use, let's say, um, a guy called Tom? How do we market to Tom or advertise to Tom on Facebook and Google and email and push notifications in his mobile phone with the right messages at the right time, with the right offer as well, if we're going to provide an offer? And maybe Tom's more responsive at 8 p.m. on Instagram every single day. So why do we want to advertise to him on Google Ads using banner adverts on, on, on Google's suite of websites and apps? if
0: he's not responsive there. No, I, I see, I see. No, I get this. Like, because this is the thing, in my mind, and I'm not in your world in any way, but yeah. there's been, like, there's been, I think, about four, possibly five waves of marketing evolution, if you get what I mean. Yeah. And, like, this like this is the thing. Like, the last sort of big wave, in my mind, was, like, yes, influencers were, like, it's like, ah, oh, yes, yeah. Now, this new cusp of marketing, it seems more like you're being an uh, analyst, if you get what yeah. I mean. Yeah, yeah. So, like, rather than sort of, like, going, okay, I've got a million pounds of a budget. How am I going to spend this the most effective way? Because, look, you can you can throw money out there to your Facebooks, your Googles, and stuff like this. 100%. But you're, like, kind of, like even though they go we're targeted we're very targeted it's still kind of carpet bombing if you get what i mean and if you're not like and when you're putting all that money look and when i say a million pounds and when i say this from the standpoint of look a million pounds when you're doing a global advertising thing is nothing <laughs> so it can like disappear quite quickly Thank and you. If you're going with people like, yeah, I looked at a Gucci ad, but that was just by pure chance, or like yeah. there was a news report and everyone went to Gucci or Prada and everything like that. That's a lot of money which is wasted. And like this seems to be a definitely more. Yes, we've got these are my regular people. We know they're going to come back. We might like if they if we want to boost up sales, we might give them a little discount here and no. there at that particular time. But for the most part, you, you guys are golden and we've got you. Thank you very much. But your next tier down, it's like, okay, you might need a little bit more prodding. And the next tear down from that is like, yeah, you might not, you might give them a like good college try, push, but you know you're not going to get much
1: from it. Exactly. You know? That's a really good point. And um, we have a private client team as well. So the highest, best, Biggest spenders get dedicated teams or people to give them like stylist advice and give them uh, a lot of time, basically dedicated to that person. So let's say, let's say for example, Will I Am. When Will yes. I Am comes to London, he has a stylist, personal personal stylist, who gives him his wardrobe. Or actually, I think I think he said on this program that he has the same clothes in London and America. Yes, so he tells um. them to have the same wardrobe in London and it's crazy how they manage it so that's an example we've got a private client team as well so uh, to your point when you said carpet bombing i think influencer advertising is more carpet bombing but what you're trying to say is that to measure the performance or the return on investment for your advertising is really difficult and it is very difficult because nowadays you've got people not accepting cookies anymore you've got people not accepting the tracking on apple apps for example don't track me on the app on the yeah. app so you lose visibility past a certain point right on the website or on the app boom lost it so you have to guess and the way you guess is by using modeling so machine learning mm-hmm. so if i know this person has done this journey this person ended up here let's guess that they're going to do this exact thing that this other person who is similar to them has done so conversion modeling and using machine learning is the way forward and it's what google offers at the moment as well within their analytics platforms To so make it more complicated you have something called machine uh, uh, marketing mix modeling now marketing mix modeling looks at seasonality's impact on the trends as well and it looks at raw um, it looks at raw data which is not at a user level so it ignores any 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 sort of behavior that you specifically do and it mm-hmm. just looks at influencer campaigns generate this much in this period and then what it does it looks at it uses algorithms um, to understand the patterns or or the the high correlation or causality between spending influencer campaigns and sales for that period and all email campaigns or facebook campaigns or google campaigns and then it looks at the return on investment for that period so marketing mix modeling is a long-term view of the impacts of your campaigns but then in the short term you have something called attribution which is looking at things in Google Analytics and looking at um, the last 30 days and what the impact of your campaigns have been on your business, on profit or gross transactional value or revenue, as you call it. Mm. How do you make those short-term optimizations? And I like to think of it like this, like a a dental appointment. Every three to six months, you go to a dentist for a a really good checkup and a really big routine checkup and he advises you on strategies. Use floss, use this toothbrush, use this toothpaste. Mm -hmm. That's long-term strategic advice on a daily basis you use a toothbrush and the floss and the thing he recommended but then you see the results and you might optimize your own, your own your own ways so every single day is attribution basically looking at reports every single day and optimizing your campaigns but then long-term views are more like dental checkups so getting that real structured long-term view of what you need to do in order to make the health of your campaigns better just like you have the health of your teeth yes on top of that you have attribution models, so a Google algorithm and a Facebook algorithm called data-driven algorithms. And what these algorithms do, instead of looking at the last click that you... So let's say you've got five ads you've looked at. Yes. Let's say they're across Google and affiliate, campaign, uh, affiliate platforms like List, and then they end up on email or, um, let's say, Facebook. Right, and then you, you buy a product. According to a last-click world model... That £100 of that product goes to Facebook because you clicked on that last. Why don't any of the other channels or or campaigns get any of the credit? It's not like a football match where Ronaldo gets all the credit for the goal. Although Ronaldo gets all the credit for the goal, Man United get the goal as well. Yeah. So that's what you need to understand in advertising as well. You need an algorithm which gives that £100 credit to Facebook, to Google, to every single part of the process. And let's say Facebook gets £70 and then Google gets £30 maybe. Or in other circumstances, it's 40, 30, and then another 30 somewhere else. But this is how we optimize in real time. So Google has a data-driven algorithm, yeah. which helps optimize its campaigns. And certain, certain types of campaigns don't have those models. So app campaigns on Google Ads don't have an app model. So I'm trying to figure out ways that we can pass data into a cloud apply an algorithm on top of it and pass it back into Google. <laughs> so people can understand it.
0: Okay, yeah, it, it uh, yeah, that sounds like an epic thing to do because yeah, like, yeah. this is the thing, look, okay. If we just went back to like 2019, okay, not, not a terrible long time ago. yeah, And like with regards to the sort of realms of say Facebook and its model and how it's working and everything like this. Yes. It just like it was quite straightforward. You could like put, um, oh, what is it? Not a cookie, like, um, pixel pixel onto your advertising. You could like basically follow it through, read, like use that pixel to retarget for the advertising if they someone's yeah. gone. And like, you know, it, it was very straightforward with the realm of, oh, excuse me, with the realm of like Apple. And now, sort of putting more restrictions on, and I'm not too sure if like uh, Google is going to go the same way. Google it, will go the same way. With yeah.
1: with um, they'll have they they call theirs. Um, I think it's Android Advertiser ID. A-A-I-D. Okay. Apple call theirs IDFA, um, Identification for Advertisers. So these are the two equivalents on Android and Apple. And Apple are the real big leaders in data privacy across app and overall. Safari blocks all third-party cookies, but mm-hmm. there is a way that we can get around that. Uh, now, yeah. There's something called server-side tagging. So imagine a website, right? You've got um, a server and a yes. website content. The yep. website content loads through the browser, through Google, Chrome, or Safari. Mm-hmm. And the trackers load through the browser. So the browser acts as a filter for what you're loading, and it blocks anything from loading that's a third-party cookie, right? Mm-hmm. There's something called server-side tracking, which we're um, starting to implement now in agencies or in client-side client as well, where you're loading the trackers from server to server. So you're loading it from um, your Google Cloud server directly to your website server so by passing so. the browser. So you don't it's have any intelligent tracking line. prevention. Yeah. Yeah, you don't have any intelligent tracking prevention. You don't have any ad blockers that are blocking that tracking. So you get around these Apple issues on Safari for web, not for app. So um, the beauty of this technique is you're collecting that data and you're storing it in your cloud to fill in the gaps. That's one, mm-hmm. that's one making around it. And also conversion modeling, but server-side tagging is the best. And then for the app side of things, you can't use this sort of technique yet. Yep. There's, there's nothing that we have to get around that.
0: But if it's going server to server and missing out the sort of website, is it not sort of missing out sort of big chunks of information Big chunks of data, like it's like you know, this no, it's, it's,
1: got, it's got more data because we're passing it from our server, our website server, directly okay. to Facebook without passing it from our server through the browser, right? To Facebook, and the browser is not blocking us anymore. So, imagine it was it used to be our server, browser, yep, and Facebook. Now it goes our server, jumps over the browser, and goes straight to the server on Facebook. Ah, That's so- how it works. So, we're enriching the data. So, imagine. This is through the browser. This is through the server. And right. what we're doing, we're enriching the Facebook data by using a server-side API called a conversion API, which I know it sounds very complicated, but what it does is it avoids these issues like ad blockers and intelligent tracking prevention like Apple do on Safari. Yeah. Um, and it allows us to enrich our fa- Facebook pixel with more information. So imagine you've got one eye open for the pixel, two eyes open for the conversion API. You've got an extra eye to see what's going on. That's basically what's happening, right? Yeah. So you've got more visibility and you've got full 360 visibility. On top of that, you can enrich your data. So you can pass data into your cloud, change revenue to profit, pass that data back into the pixel and allow it, hey, presto, to optimize for profit. Optimize for products that have high profit rather than revenue because certain <laughs> products might have high revenue, low profit, other products might have low revenue, high profit.
0: Okay. Yeah. So like that- <laughs> okay basically all this argument about privacy and like yeah keeping things yeah. like hidden away and not like it seems to be kind of a mute, mute point because it's like yeah, yeah the information still can be gathered the information is still
1: freely available you still have to give basically. consent though mm-hmm? you still have to give consent and so uh-huh. unless you give consent for cookies or for idfa you can't yeah. be tracked. but if you accept cookies but have an ad blocker on or you're on a safari browser yeah that So the cookies, to make it complicated, the cookies on Safari will always be blocked, regardless of if you accept those cookies or not for third-party trackers, Safari blocks it. Mm. But if you accept the cookies um, and we have server-side tracking, we get past that third-party cookie blocker because we serve a first-party cookie. That's the loophole I forgot to say before. We get around the loophole. Uh, We have a loophole because it's first-party cookies. So we deploy our own server cookie, Mm -hmm. first-party cookie. And that first-party cookie transports the information from our server directly to Facebook. So it doesn't see Facebook on the website anymore. It sees Farfetch server on the website or whatever server we have. And then we transport that data into Facebook outside of the browser. So we're kind of like blindsiding the browser. Yeah.
0: Because like, okay, the more you talk, okay, now like this is the thing, the further it seems like we're getting away from marketing, <laughs> definitely, because like you're, you're, you've you basically given me a very detailed and like, you know what I mean? I feel like I've learned a lot about like, yes, the sort of advertised, well, marketing tactics what go on, but it seems so, so technical. It is not even funny. It's just like, okay,
1: like it's very technical
0: now. Yeah. Basically, if I got a marketer from, like, let's grab a decade, the 90s, before, like, this all kicked off, I went, yeah. They were like, oh, what are you doing? <laughs> what type of witchcraft is this? Yeah, yeah. It is, I, it is mental. It is crazy. And, mm-hmm. like, yeah, it, the information you get back and then being able to go, okay, pixel, let's not do revenue. Let's go for profit. Uh, like, that is like, – mm-hmm. Somewhat you can, uh, impressive and somewhat like concerning at the same time.
1: Yeah, I think it's good, but imagine, right? We do luxury fashion. Let's, let's get back to the point of using a pixel. Yeah. I'll just explain it for everyone watching and for yourself as well in simple ways. You have an ad. I click on the ad and I go to your website. On the website, we place a pixel. That pixel drops a cookie on you and tracks what you're doing. And then when you go back to the website, you purchase with that third-party cookie still, still tracking you for that period of time. Mm-hmm. Let's say it's seven days because it is seven days on Facebook now. And you purchase. That pixel tells Facebook um, and it, it allows Facebook to optimize towards um, products or ads that are more successful in the campaign to customers in the future. That's what a pixel allows. A pixel is a piece of JavaScript code that sits on the website page And in Google's terms, it's called a floodlight a lot of the times because as as you walk near a floodlight, it lights up. So that pixel allows you to track conversions and the value of the conversions and the type of conversions from your ads. Mm. And it tells Google or Facebook, here are the ads that are doing very well. Yes. And over time, it optimizes towards the best performing ads or campaigns, whatever it may be, or whatever you want to use as your information and switch off certain campaigns or switch on other campaigns based on the pixel information data, right? So, nowadays it's moving away from pixels and it's going towards APIs. The APIs from server to server. So website, all of the first-party data gets sent to the Facebook server, for example, or the Google server. Yeah. The beauty of this thing is we pass the data into a cloud server first, where we clean it, we, we hash PII data, like your email address, and things like this, and your, and your personal information, and then we pass that data into Facebook. So we have hashed IDs, and this hashing process is a—it's it, it's called a data cleanroom process. Generally in marketing, right? It means that it's privacy safe data. I'm matching Tom with Tom between our first-party data and Google or Facebook, mm-hmm. and it's a hashed Tom. So it doesn't say Tom. It might say one two three four five Tom, uh, one two three four five, and not Tom. So we're not leaking your data. And the problem with having PII data loading on the browser, on the website, people can maybe hack into it and take that data. Whereas when you're passing it from server to server, nobody can hack into it because they can't go through the server to server connection. They can through the browser, maybe to hack it in some way, shape or form. Now I don't know how you can hack it, but all I know is that it's more hackable. So we lose data through the browser. We have a higher likelihood or propensity for someone to hack it and take that data of our customers, Mm -hmm. which is not very good. and we can't change that data or enrich it with something as well as we can if it's in the cloud. So advertising, as you said, you said it's very technical. It is very technical, but you cannot be a marketer or an advertiser nowadays without being technical. You have to be close to a developer/slash data background, also a tech background, also a psychology background also a creative background, also an e-commerce background, also a business background, also a finance background, because you have to understand how all these elements come together. And marketing now is the engine that drives all businesses forward, particularly because it's all online. And online, as you know, is a very, very technical place. You've got cookies, you've got pixels, you've got campaigns, ads, mm. you've got uh, tag management systems, you've got servers, you've got browsers, you've got all sorts of random names and random elements that people don't understand if, unless they work in these uh, industries advertising and marketing and i want to differentiate the difference so there's a very famous guy called david trott who's got a lifetime award in advertising he's a very famous uh guy in the industry and he's written books on creative thinking and how to think very creatively
0: mm-hmm. and i'll give you
1: one story um about the russians uh, the russians placed hard drives outside the nato building with trojan horses on basically and they knew that the nato guys would go into this shop and buy the hard drives. And those hard drives are placed into their PCs. And what happened? They shut down NATO because the Russians thought creatively, how do we get a Trojan horse into NATO building without going into the building? You put hard drives just outside the shop where they're going to buy them. So David Trott um, talks about all sorts of common sense things that advertisers need to have um, and how to actually persuade people to do stuff because you've got pixels and things like that, but pixels don't tell you what messages to show customers. They only tell you what messages you're showing that are better performing. They don't tell you, hey, I think you need to do a message that says Farfetch offers X, Y, and Z. That's up to you, a human human being, a person to be persuasive. And marketing requires human thinking still. But the optimization, or the way that the budget is allocated and you're optimizing your campaigns and ads to the right people online is in a machine learning way, in a non-human way. But the human being needs to be persuasive and think about the perfect message to send to the customer. And customers all want to be seduced. They're there for a reason. Everybody wants to be seduced because they will have money. They will want to spend it. It's up to us to figure out how do we seduce these people? What platforms are they on that are the most seductive, uh, the most seducible, if that's the word? Maybe they're on TikTok eight hours a day. Okay, perfect time to, to seduce them. Maybe after payday, of course, they're going to be more seduced. So optimize after payday. Maybe someone's on TikTok, optimize on TikTok, show an advert on TikTok. The problem is different Different platforms have different pixels. So you've got Google Pixel, Facebook Pixel, blah, 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 blah. What there isn't in advertising is one single solution, which gives these platforms one single source of data. So mm-hmm. what you have to do, place where your data in a cloud or something that you call a CDP, a customer data platform, which is built off the cloud a lot of the times. And this customer data platform is all of your customer data sitting in one place and you can advertise to Tom across Facebook or Google or Criteo or Snapchat or Twitter or TikTok by having API connections to this kind of goldmine of your customers. And on top of that, we actually know if Tom has five devices and we know that he's logged into four, if this fifth device is in the same IP and this is same sort of behavior and there are certain signals that tell us, hey, this person might be Tom on the fifth device. We add that device to your profile.
0: Uh-huh. And it's called
1: probabilistic. It's called probabilistic matching. So It's probably him.
0: So basically, this is how that sort of, like, okay, ah, uh, uh, like, I, w- I was looking at this thing, and now it's all of a sudden, it's now appeared on, like, something I don't even know. Like, I don't know how it came on today. That's
1: retargeting. That, that's based yeah. on you accepting the pixel. And the pixel has two main functions. The first function of a pixel is to track sales or conversions. A conversion is simply something you've done on the website that we are tracking yep. and passing back. So it could be you viewed a website page or it could be you've added to the basket product or you might have purchased. The second thing is we are collecting you as an audience to retarget to you later on. So we're collecting we're collecting data about where what ads are successful and where the sales are coming from. we're also collecting the audiences and together the audiences allow us to retarget and the conversion tracking allows us to measure the success of our adverts in that platform. Right. So the audiences is a very, very interesting thing because a lot of the things that we do, people don't even understand that we actually do. I can upload a list of people who are the highest value for our business Mm -hmm. into Facebook and Facebook can find something called a lookalike so imagine if, if you're walking down the street and i see an icu and i see someone who looks like you i'll say oh you look alike yeah. that's what a look lookalike is based off that these people have the similar behaviors to you on facebook or google wherever, wherever the platform may be and so we make a high that they could be a customer for mm-hmm. you exactly so let's say you you like five pages on facebook yes day in day out podcasts, et etc 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 and there's another person who likes them same five things they score you highly correlating to be the same sort of person, lookalikes. If you like one, if someone else likes one thing that you like and you like different things overall, the propensity of them to be similar to you is very low. So lookalikes are based on this sort of process, matching kind of databases and seeing which users are very similar to each other. And we can find similar people. So the goldmine of the future, because cookies are dying, They've gone. They're going to die in 2023 onwards. Chrome is blocking them. It's also blocking our blockers as well, by the way. Um, in 2023, goodbye to cookies. And overall, cookies are seen as something that's going to die. And it's it's something that we need to focus on in the future, which is uploading your first-party data, your customer data from the cloud, yeah. into these platforms like Facebook and telling it, okay, here are where people bought from. Here, here are the names of the people. Here are the email addresses. Here are the locales. So like Leicester, London, wherever it may be. Um, and find similar people to those, please, using their their IDs. So cookies are an ID. They're a form of token. And the reason why cookies were actually used for advertising in the first place and placed on, your, placed on your laptop rather than in the server of the website is because there was a guy, a French guy. And his boss said to him, why are we storing all of these cookies in our own servers? If we're showing millions of people, um, uh, if we're tracking millions of people, we've got millions of cookies wasting our money in the server. Why don't we find a way... To track elsewhere. And what this guy did, he read up about something called a cookie token. And a cookie token was basically an ID or a, a basically token to say the exact thing of what it is and that's stored on your uh, laptop, which tracks, which a website tracks your behavior on your own device, saves them server time, obviously saves them money, sorry, uh, server time and server money. So the cookie token was taken as a principle for advertising thereafter. So we track you on your device rather than on our own server, right? And now it's kind of going back back, back to server-side to ser- ser- server side tracking, yeah. which is quite interesting. So cookies are dying. You're not accepting cookies anymore. There's cookie consent, the GDPR, et cetera, et cetera, blocking people or preventing people from accepting cookies and giving them reasons not to accept it. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, you've got three different types of cookies. You've got uh, functional cookies essential cookies and advertising cookies you've always got you've always got performance cookies but um advertising cookies are usually opt out by default but essential cookies opt in by default so analytics cookies come under the essential or functional a lot of the times so when we track using first party cookie and it comes under analytics we can kind of get around some sort of um some sort of issues with tracking but uh to my point the future of tracking people yeah, he's looking at marketing mix modeling and looking at conversion modeling when they don't accept those pixels, i.e., third-party cookies they don't accept because a, a, a pixel basically allows you to track people with a third-party cookie. It drops a third-party cookie onto your device, right? Uh, on the on web, on on app, it'll be an IDFA or an aid which is a device ID that allows us to track you on the Android device or Apple device. So the future will be using machine learning, and as I said before, ca- causality. Uh, modeling so regression modeling and understanding what's the impact of influencer campaigns what's the impact of of banner adverts what's the impact of email campaigns on the revenue and profit of the business and where do you invest in the future now on top of that how many users have in google and how many users have on tiktok may differ so you may have reached the cap of users on google so if it's telling you to invest more here uh, you, you you can't really invest more here yeah. because yeah. there's a cap. So the results have to be interpreted by people and we're like, okay, it's telling us that the ROI on Google Ads is high but there's only so many people that we're advertising to and there's only a limit that we can advertise with the budget. We need to figure out ways to advertise to people on maybe TikTok or a bigger broader land grab of audiences. Mm -hmm. Facebook Facebook's the biggest one with Instagram and Facebook and WhatsApp because WhatsApp is part of Facebook and then TikTok is obviously a massively grown platform which has massive um viewership and has uh a lot of out i think the hours watched per day is tripled or quadrupled in the past couple of years or so I can't it remember has it
0: surpassed way. youtube let's just say that um yeah, that surpassed youtube i think towards
1: the end of last year for viewing time okay. and it's it's addictive you know mm-hmm. i I've, i listen to a lot of podcasts and i listen to a lot of youtube videos and i read a lot and um they build algorithms which enhance attention. So, you know, the Gmail app, right? Yes. The guy who invented they they were like, We need a way to make people see their emails as soon as they come in. The guy invented the little vibration that your phone gives you. After he did that, he could see people looking at the phones mid, midway through New York City. I think it was in New York City the next week or so. And he was like, What have I done? Because vibrating phones are everywhere, and he could see people being uh, kind of. It's kind of like being hijacked. Your attention's hijacked. That's why they call it the hijacking your attention with vibrations, with, with pop ups on your phone, or interstitials, what they call it. When you're going in between um, clicking on the map an app, it's called an interstitial ad. Now, we're, we're hacking people's attention, and the four keys of advertising is attention, interest, desire, and action. Grab their attention. You can get the in- interest. If it's with the right message, you get their interest straight away. And then the desire goes up because they might have just been paid, payday. The product's right. They've got attention. Oh, they've got attention because the advert's cool. Okay, cool. What's the message? Oh, I'm interested in the message. Oh, it's five pounds off today. I've got a desire. Click on it and the action is a purchase. So Aida is the model, attention, interest, desire and action. And it's very, it's a very simple model that um, all human beings follow when they're buying. Now,
0: it's like, wow. Now, like it's a it's a healthy chunk of information I've like taken in there and like this is the thing. Um like the insight. <laughs> It, no it's kind of crazy because it's like right you got okay all of this but like this is the thing now now like to sort of step away from the sort of big corporate side of things now yeah. if someone went look man i'm i'm just like i'm just kicking off my own little brand here and stuff like this is like would you point them to, in one direction more than the other for sort of like get that sort of first bit of attention land grab which is getting more and more pricey uh, as each sort of like each quarter goes by.
1: Uh, That's a very good question. I mean, I've built, I turned 400 pounds into 75,000 within one year um, on my business. Um, So the way that I did that myself was using mainly Facebook ads. Yeah. and I use Google ads as well, but you also need to understand what the website activity is, right? So, Google Analytics, what happens on Google Analytics, or on your website? Google Analytics reads your website. So Google yeah. Analytics is like a little spy and looks at what you're doing on the website. And it says, okay, people usually come to your homepage, then they go to here, then they go to here, and then they buy. But 20% of people drop off between this page and this page. What is the problem here? Maybe it's the, the product doesn't match the advert. Maybe the content on your website is crap. And people, let's say let's say it goes like this, right? So people click on your ads very high rate of seeing the ad to clicking it. Yeah. Very low rate from clicking the ad to buying. Mm. That is where the issue is sometimes. And when you're a small business, you need to, you need to understand. um, I would like to understand if you were a small business right now, I'd say to you, where's your revenue coming from right now? Who are your target market? Mm -hmm. What messages do you want to show these people? Um, What have you currently done to date that has been successful and not been successful? Because just because something's been successful doesn't mean that you're doing it right. You might just be lucky. And because it's unsuccessful, you might be doing the right platform with the wrong messages. Like, if you're using a hammer to cut some carrots, it, it doesn't make sense. You need to use a knife for that. If you're using a knife to uh, chop a tree down, it doesn't make sense. So, you need to think, maybe you need to switch your tactics around. Use the hammer for the tree and the knife for the carrot. Right? Mm-hmm. So that's what advertising should, uh, should be doing for you. So that's what I like to understand, is what you're currently doing at the moment, what the return on investment is, but some platforms are not meant to be return on investment platforms. Like influencer campaigns on Facebook and Insta, you can't really measure the success of them. Yeah. But they give you brand awareness. And as I said, the attention and interest part comes first. And that's the attention part, the awareness and the brand awareness and the attention all comes under the same sort of area. You need to understand, do you want to get... So as a business, your first aim should be, how do I get attention of everyone? Do brand campaigns. Reach as many people as you want to reach who are part of your general target market, not too specific. So fashion might be perfect instead of luxury fashion for Farveig, if it was just a startup. Start off with a big audience. People may may watch a video, and you may want to retarget those who've watched the video with a specific message, right? And then retarget them again with an offer, and then make them buy. So you've got a triangle, right? The triangle is awareness, right? Or getting them to become aware of your brand retarget them maybe one or two times and make them buy create that interest and desire in action so the first step i would say is uh if you haven't started a brand you go into company's house create that business for 12 pounds check that the domain is available for your website and the name is available because you don't be using a name or domain that someone else has got this is what i do first get the domain and get the name sorted but if you want to test your idea first, go onto to Etsy or go on to Depop and start selling and smell what sells and understand if there's a demand for that product or uh, there's actually a market there. If there's not a market there, you have to create a market. If the market's there and it's saturated, great. Maybe you can make loads of money and take off the incumbent people. Um, but you want to understand if you have to create a demand or if there is an existing demand, pre-existing demand. After you've made your website and the, you, you've registered your company and company's house, et cetera, um, you then need to uh, get a bank account and I, I got a bank account with Starling uh, very easy to apply to etc it's free interest free um, and you also want to set up QuickBooks as well so link up QuickBooks to Starling and PayPal etc and start logging your accounts um, and then find a, an accountant who's a good friend and you can trust because that's important for accountants um, but when it comes to advertising if for example you're advertising I don't know um, fashion items Facebook and Instagram is a great place to advertise and it depends on your demographic as well. So, um, firstly, Google ads is an intent driven platform, which means that someone's searching for black t-shirt, you know, they're definitely searching for it. Whereas Facebook and Instagram, you're on there to browse, maybe talk to your friends and browse around, but because of the pixel, what they do, very clever, all of the pixels Facebook has across different websites, Farfetch, Gucci, Prada, et cetera. It collects that information on the pixels feeds into facebook and that's how it knows what you're doing that's how it knows what you're doing right it knows you're interested in fashion because of that and it knows you're interested in fashion based on what you do on the on the app as well and the website so you can do laser targeting on facebook and instagram by using that but on tiktok now you do have the same capabilities however tiktok's usually a younger demographic so if you want a younger demographic advertise on tiktok if you want um if you want various demographics, including younger, you can advertise on Instagram. Facebook's becoming more and more towards the older demographic as time goes on. Yeah, you've got Snapchat, which is great as well for specific types of ads and it tells the story. As well. about
0: Snapchat.
1: Everyone forgets <laughs> about Snapchat. Sorry. <laughs> I think I think I think Snapchat. I, I'm not as much of a specialist in Snapchat. I'm more of a specialist in Facebook and Google's sort all of platforms. Mm. But what I would say is. You need to understand uh, and analyze, maybe look at reports, maybe reports for your industry. Where are your competitors advertising? What's their split of the budget? Is it 50% Facebook, 30% Google? And there's a very good website called SimilarWeb. Now, SimilarWeb is a free tool, kind of like a Google Analytics, which tells you what your competitors are doing. It tells you the keywords (laughs) that generate the website demand. It tells you where they're advertising. It tells you the split of advertising in terms of budget, percentage amounts it doesn't tell you the physical 100 pounds 200 pounds it also tells you um, which markets they operate in and what rank they are i think i can't remember the exacts what are the exact graphs that they have but have a ton of information on your competitors as long as they've got a lot of traffic low traffic they don't have it um so similar is something that i do and google trends is a good thing i do so google trends if anyone doesn't know is a a research platform provided by Google to allow you to see the trends in the data of what people search. So, let's say Donald Trump, when he was elected, boom, search was indexing one hundred percent, right? 100 out of hundred. Yeah. When 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 he wasn't, when when he wasn't elected or pre-election, let's say two years prior, he was probably 40, 40 index out of hundred index, right? So you can understand what's happening, and so. If you're advertising farfetch you can look at luxury fashion with Prada with Off-White and see the difference in the demand and trends. And then you can start building a framework for which keywords you want to advertise against and your competitors as well. So for example, if I'm farfetch I might wanna bid on matches.com, matches fashion. So when someone searches fashion, matches fashion in Google, I say, hi, we're farfetch we're better than matches. We've got better offers as my headline. So, um, competitive bidding is, is quite quite a good one but sometimes it costs a lot because to bid on a brand term like mattress is going to be a lot of money but i'd say as a small business advertising would be word of mouth is a big one mm-hmm. generating organic sales is a big one so getting people to recommend uh, through peers offline i would also say um generating the maximum reach possible so reaching as many people as possible on facebook or google i would prefer facebook and instagram in my opinion, because it's got the best reach and the targeting is great. It's easy to use as well. Google Ads is a little bit more complicated to use if you're not, you know, a bit more proficient in advertising. So I'd say go to Facebook, very easy to use. You probably know yourself. Go on to YouTube, find out some videos um, and then create and <laughs> campaigns. <laughs> and Facebook also has the opportunity to upload your product feed into Facebook and then show dynamic product ads. Now, dynamic product ads or what they say on the tin it's an ad uh, it, it's a campaign that shows very different products and when you go onto the website and let's say you're looking at a black t-shirt by off-white
0: yeah
1: you will then put that off-white black t-shirt into the campaign to retarget you later on so you can make a retargeting campaign which does that having said that if you're a small business prospecting campaigns to find new customers might be better for you number one because um your email campaigns which retarget them might be better anyway cheaper low cost of acquisition mm-hmm. and also people aren't accepting cookies so you will see that you can't track if retargeting is going well anymore because well your audience's free targeting has gone down because they're not accepting the cookies anymore yeah so you, the audience pools smaller but also the likelihood of them accepting cookies a second time when they go back to your website is also lower um and if it's outside the seven day window, you lose the ability to measure that against Facebook. But I would say go to Google Analytics and set up your measurement there. So it's, it's a massive thing. I'd say the main things are um, Facebook ads to generate reach, keep posting on Instagram organically, generate loads of content, generate stories, generate polls, get people to follow your page and start following people who follow your competitors. So go on to your competitors' followers and start clicking follow, 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 follow. And then let them follow you. And then if you if you care about the ratio, start on following them. But there's a maximum, I think it's 50, and then Instagram blocks you for a time period. It's called a timeout period. Yeah. Um, and there's something called shadow banning, which basically means you've been banned into the shadow realm um, because uh, you've been doing some stupid stuff, like liking too many things and looking like you're a bot. These sort of companies don't like bots. They don't like too many hashtags. They don't don't like repetitive behavior because it seems like a bit fishy, scammy, botty behavior. Um, So yeah, you want to find followers who are following your competitors. Then um, you want to provide very valuable content and free content and free advice. So if I'm selling beard products, for example, I'll say, to keep your beard healthy, here's five steps. And then I'll keep saying, here's how you keep your beard healthy. Here's how you take care of it. And then on the fifth post, I might say, we've got an offer on today. Or, or in the story, we've got an offer on today, 15% off today only, um, because you want to give people free advice. They should follow you to gain something from you. People follow pages because they're gaining something. They're either gaining attention, uh, so they're either gaining pleasure, or they're gaining knowledge, or they're gaining something, right? Friendship, where it may be, or uh, feel a community. Scarcity is something very, very important in advertising and selling anything. If I say to you, You've got 10% off forever. You can use it whenever. Or if I say to you, you've got 10% off to use until Sunday. So you've got two days right from today. Mm. You're going to be more likely to buy based on that two day window because the offer's going to go in two days. And you're like, wow, I need to buy. Scarcity is a massive tactic in selling to somebody a product online. That's why if you're selling something to you customers, you might want off towards to, 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 you. Yeah you might want to offer 20% off in a specific time window. So probably I'd say nothing more than seven days, I'd say, because after seven days, people can't remember that you got off run anyway. Or you might want to re-email them again. So you do Facebook ads, someone clicks, they go away. Then you've got their email address. Hopefully they've logged on and they've signed up. You send an email out saying, hey, we're giving you an offer, 15% off for, for your first time. And then they buy. And then, hey, presto, you can start email campaigns. And email campaigns are so good because Shopify and other CMS providers, CMS is a content management system. Yep. They offer um, predictive models as well now. So they offer low, medium, and high tier predictive models for customers, which just came out recently. And you can make journeys which send emails based on X, Y, Z. So if you've got a Gucci lover, it will send a Gucci offer out. If they're, if they're a Prada lover, and you know they're a lover because they might have seen loads of product, product, products rather hmm. than any of the products, and the skew's higher. So. If they love product, send that product email, and if they don't buy product again, then send them a discount for the next step. So you have different steps in Shopify, and you can create bespoke journeys for cohorts of customers or typical behavior behavioral journeys that can lead to a sale. So you 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 reverse engineer the sale, or you 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 program what you want to go, uh, what 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 journey you want someone to follow to, to buy a product or to get that final sale. And your aim in advertising is to always make sure that you're one step ahead of the customer, what they're thinking, because there's high promiscuity within, within luxury fashion as well, in particular, people can buy Prada from many different places. And for me, if somebody trusts the brand and it's a luxury brand and the packaging is great, etc., people buy for the experience. Now with Farfetch, the experience isn't standardized all the time because a boutique might package their products in a different packaging or with different wrapping paper, whatever it may be. And it might not be the same experience each time. And also, it comes from boutiques across Italy, Germany, et cetera, et cetera. Now, you may be waiting a week for one order because you might have three products. One comes from Italy, one comes from France, one comes from Germany. Two days, five days, seven days, boom. Mm -hmm. Three different time windows for the same order. Now for a consumer, it's very difficult to to understand. That is kind of a strange thing. Yeah. Yeah, so what I would say for a business, You need to figure out your stock, uh, your stock management system, your supply chain system, right? For me, having Royal Mail is a very good way, click and drop. So there's something called click and drop with Royal Mail, which if you don't know, you go on the website, you click to make your labels generate. Obviously, it's not just one click, you have to go through a process. You download the labels, you stick them on your products, you put them in a bag, go to the nearest drop-off point and literally fill that post box with all of your items. That's called click and drop, right? One of the issues I found when I was building my business was Royal Mail were being a bit irritable when I was going every single day with 30 parcels in person in the small stores and queuing up to give them those 30 to put the labels on every single time. So I was like, hmm, how do I improve this process? Because Mm -hmm. I'm writing the names by hand. I have the products in bags. I want to process. So I got a chest of drawers, put the products in there, had labels printed out. Got a printing machine, got raw mail account. Start printing out the labels, sticking them on raw mail. Uh,
0: like, sorry to stop you, but this is for your perfume company. Yes, it? yes, That's correct. correct. like, yeah, you you talk for very free flowing, and like you just like flowed straight into it. It's like, okay, so yeah, so is this how like this is connected to how you turn four hundred pounds to
1: seventy five thousand pounds? Yes, that within one yeah So it's called Prime Sense, and. Yeah. Um, I think it was £400 um, I put in at the start, and I did it with a partner. Um Now, it was just like a little trial. We started on Depop, and um, on Depop, we just started selling some perfume oils. I went to Morocco, and I came back, and I brought back an oil, and the ideas uh, came from there. But what we offer is designer replicas mm. to customers in oil format. Now, as you know, when you're spraying an, an alcohol-based perfume, there are certain demographics, like Muslims, who can't, have it. Can't, use, can't use alcohol right yeah so that's a massive market and that was a one of the reasons why oil is a really really good market another reason is not many people can afford these creeds or these tom fords who were on certain salaries so i wanted to offer people in a very easy way um, to buy the products for like four pound 49 is is the cheapest for a three milliliter bottle of oil but because we don't dilute the oils in alcohol is very strong it's a lot stronger and you can target the oil on your behind your ear you can target it on your wrist etc mm. whereas with the with a spray you can't specifically say that exact point in my body and when you have when you're putting perfume on your body you have certain hot spots you've got hot spots by wherever your pulse points are so that underneath of your wrist here that's mm. a hot spot the, evapora- the evaporation time is going to be faster than if it's on a cold area now a cold area might be back of your neck apparently that's a cold area so the evaporation is going to be longer period of time so if you're going to go on a date for example you might want to put a lot of perfume on here as it will evaporate into the air you also might want to put it on the back of your neck in case it's a long long lasting date right
0: Uh, i see sam are you giving away some of your dating tactics right now
1: exactly that's my dating tip um yeah the the business is to offer designer affordable fragrances to people who can't afford them but also to make sure that it lasts longer in a normal Mm. format so I also made my own beard oil as well from scratch. I devised a, diff, diff, a little formula based on my my knowledge of oils. So castor oil stays on the outside of your of your uh, hair. Almond oil penetrates the hair and skin. Argan oil is a little bit thicker and in between the two. And then um, we had, uh, I think, grapeseed oil is very thin as well, and it's very, very good for absorption and it keeps it healthy. So I mixed the formula and added some of the drops of the perfume oil into that formula to make a beard oil as well. And I'm very into uh, homemade, homemade skincare and homemade oils and homemade uh, cleansers and toners. And I read a lot around that as well. So uh, yeah,
0: like because like this is the thing, man, you are like well, like let's say you're like your your knowledge is deep and it's wide, uh, like which is like a good thing because like many times that uh, people's knowledge is shallow and is yeah, quite yeah. wide, but like this like whole thing is like do you some like with your sort of marketing knowledge does it sometimes feel like you're playing the game because okay there's the cold analytics then you're wrapping it around with the warm and fuzzies does yeah, it sometimes feel like you're playing the game sometimes with a little bit of cheat codes at this rest of the
1: time um I wouldn't say I wouldn't say cheat codes because I, I don't like the fact that you know we we're kind of cheating people but no, um, I mean making it slightly easier, like yeah, because I've got the knowledge. I know how it works. You can I upload my email addresses, obviously if they've given consent, into Facebook and find lookalikes to advertise to, which is one of the strategies I use. Um, and you can change the lookalikes based on percentage similarity. So let's say one percent is the most similar. So Tom mm-hmm. um, is it going to be very similar to another Tom at one percent. If it's three percent or five percent, it's going to be less likely to be similar to Tom. So you have different different thresholds of percent that are similar to the current audiences
0: so like say say tom for example likes listening to podcasts say just yeah yeah that, that's for example like like i might as well benefit while you're here <laughs> it's like, it's <laughs> like, i could like i could set up a campaign which will target look lookalike to tom because he yeah. listens to x y and z podcasts and if i fit into that sort of genre away i
1: go but, well, you have a minimum amount of customers you have to upload, which is 100. The audience mm-hmm. has to have... A, you have to have 100 people in the audience pool mm-hmm. who have completed a certain event on your website, I think, for, for, for purchase in wow. a country. So 100 people from the UK who purchased from your company, right? Right. With a podcast, you might not be as successful with the look like of, of a podcast because it's a very niche thing, right? What you might want to do... In Facebook, you've got something called um, an audience builder. Now, the audience builder allows you to use Facebook's data to create an audience from scratch of what data they already have. Mm -hmm. So if you know you've got five competitors, you might want to create an audience of people who've liked those pages of your competitors. So let's say your competitors are day in, day out number two, day in, day out number three, day, day in, day out number four. You click people who've liked these pages. Let me create an audience of these people and then let me advertise to these people. Uh that's one thing i started doing so i actually you you rejigged my memory there i um i looked at people who liked the perfume company people who like primark because obviously primark's cheap cheaper so people who have maybe lower salary bands people who like uh tom ford people who like creed and created those audiences in facebook and advertised to those audiences and obviously at the start it's more of a broad audience and over time you figure out um and you get data from your own website which tells you who your customers are, and where they, uh, what they're buying, etc. So then you can use that audience and upload a lookalike based on different parts of the funnel. So for people who are listening, in advertising or marketing, you have a funnel. Now the funnel is literally starting from people you're landing on your website, yeah, um, and going down to a purchase, right? So you might want to make a lookalike of people who've landed on your website. Boom. Then start making lookalikes of people who've viewed content. Boom. Then make a lookalike of people who've added to cart. Boom then purchase boom then high value purchases people who spend more money boom Mm -hmm. but you can't make the lookalikes unless you have 100 people who've done that specific thing in your country so that's why you can't always do lookalikes of purchases unless you have substantial amount of data so you start off by starting at the top starting very small with just your website visits and visitors and make a look like of that etc so advertising is a very strategic and very technical industry but it does require some creative thinking because there are really good adverts out there on instagram which tell a story now it's all about storytelling it's all about storytelling persuading someone to do something is magic and it's called spelling because you're you've got a spell on someone and words and letters every single letter and word that you use when you're talking to someone is literally a sale you're selling a word, Mm -hmm. a sentence, a paragraph, a whole book, whatever it may be. You're selling your podcast to people using your words and your spelling. You're using magic, right? Advertising is about magic. It's about persuading people to buy something, to part with their hard-earned cash, to get a reciprocal pleasure or utility, whatever it may be, of that exact amount. So if I spend 100 pounds, I want a a larger chunk than if I spend £5 in value back. If I spend half, um, let's say £500, I want a massive amount of value back. And over time, the value, the expected value of a customer goes kind of like this. It doesn't go like a straight line. If I'm spending £100, it might be here, but a £1,000 is like exponentially more value I I require back from that, which is why in restaurants where the average order value is like 3X, let's say an average order value is £30, and it goes up to £90, you would probably expect five times better service or five times better something, whether it's atmosphere, whether it's well-dressed people, whether it's better haircuts, whatever the hell it may be, based on the fact that you're spending that much more money, three times more, it's an exponential curve in value, um, value um, required from that business or from that product. And that's the way that I see it anyway. But value is obviously a very ambiguous word and it's a very random word that you can't attach any sort of, Exact meaning to, but we all know what value means. Mm. Whatever I need and desire is—is is it matching that? Is it—is it exceeding that? And value is for me exceeding the need or desire quite well. That's what I think value is. I think you can be like being say, a food at a restaurant. The number one need is hunger, right? If yeah. you're eating food, you satisfy that craving, you satisfy that need, that hunger need. But on top of the hunger, you have a second craving, which is pleasure on the tip of your tongue. The taste buds being tantalized, right? that's the second one. Third one is atmosphere so when you're thinking about a customer's value that you're providing to the, the value you're providing to the customer you need to understand the different layers of the needs the different needs and desires that they have atmosphere in a restaurant food the taste the way that your staff treat them the amount of times that they go to the table and say how are you doing sir do they top up your water do they give you tissues do they give you a knife and fork or do you have to get it yourself like mm. in numbers things like this so we have to understand what our customers want but there's there's a low thrills thing like at Ryanair in a low thrills company like Ryanair people expect it to be crap and when they expect crap and they get crap they love it when they expect great and they get crap they hate it because there's a chasm there's a discrepancy between what they're expecting and what they're getting now if there is a company and there's a local restaurant everyone's like so rude but the food's great if I go there and one staff member isn't rude to me I'm like wow this is amazing because (laughs) (laughs) it's exceeded what i think it's going to be like yeah and this is the thing it's perceived value which i'm which which is a conclusion what i'm saying here perceived value is a thing there's no real thing in the world called value we human beings have made the word gorillas don't call, call anything value uh apes don't call anything value fish don't call anything value we as human beings have language there's no other animal that has a complex language like we do we don't have Um, we have the ability to make meaning out of something we've called words, right? Or language. And for me, the fundamental language is body language and eyesight. And when you say, "ow," when you get hurt or when you're crying or screaming, that is the, um, the real language of human beings. The real language of human beings Mm. is the innate reactions, reflexes, or crying, sobbing. These are the real languages of the world. And we've created our own languages like French or English or, Punjabi, wherever it may be. Um, So for a customer, perceived value can differ, especially across different regions as well, across France or England or Germany, different people have different values. So in Milan, for example, you have to dress very, very well. That's a high value. That's a high perceived value is people who dress really well. Mm. But maybe in Leicester, people aren't as concerned about dressing in suits all day or dressing perfectly all day. So the values are different here. So perceived value changes from the industry you're in, whether it's res- whether it's uh, hospitality, whether it's fashion, whether it's uh, transport, these sorts of things, and also based on region, and also based on different cohorts in the in, in the uh, in the industry. So, like fashion might have people who like cheap fashion, fast fashion, people who like luxury fashion, people who are conscious about the environment, about the economy, uh, sorry, about the um, um, about the environment and about keeping the planet in a good place, yeah. not wasting resources. So perceived value for people who buy from Farfetch, one person might be loving the sustainability impact on the environment sort of thing because we use cardboard. Another person might buy it because they love Gucci and they want to have you know, some sort of snob value from it. Yeah. So the perceived value changes. And um, it's something that we need to really understand when we're selling something to people. When you offer someone a new brand and you're starting your own business, what is the perceived value that different segments in your audience, in your industry, or in your target market actually want from you, and how do you provide that perceived, serv- perceived value? You don't have uh, sorry, this slide. You don't have um, <laughs> you don't have the same message for five different people. You might have one, oh, sustainable brand. Two, best brands ever. Three, um, fast shipping because this person loves shipping. This person loves sustainability, and this person loves. Luxury brands. Simple. So if I was going to advise someone on a small startup, you want to um figure out your target market, their perceived value and needs and desires, and what they exactly want from you. How do you feel the need better than your competitors? And what messages do you give to those people using adverts on mm. Facebook, on Google, etc.? And how do you retain them? Retention is important because um, it costs five times more to acquire a customer than it does retain them. And there's the preto law principle, which is 80% of your revenue, your profit comes from the top 20% of your customers. So you want to focus on the top 20% and it's called nurturing. You want to nurture them. You want to help them grow and keep them long-term. Um, so you might offer them bespoke exclusive sale offers. You might offer them seven-day early opportunities to buy certain products. You might offer them a specific drop in a store, for example. So like with sort of just...
0: Like thank you very much for that information it is i think it's going to be priceless to some people uh with nice. regards to like yeah i hope so. starting up because like it i think it's one of those things where people like i'm going to start a business i'm going to do this i'm going to make it happen and it's like they don't think about this, like the small things they go through with the action of like just and they start running but like the sort of fundamentals the sort of building blocks the sort of like yeah the minutiae the minutiae they don't think about that at all they just like go off on one but like that that information is just so like so sort of valuable but like i i am curious with regards to farfetch right like you said find times to acquire someone like with it being such a high like so high, such high profile people how much does it cost to acquire someone as a customer
1: Depends on the customer, um, and I—I've got to be honest. I don't know the exact figure off the top of my head, but yeah. even if I did know, I probably shouldn't share it anyway, <laughs> um, because, of, because of data, uh, data, shh, shh. data laws. Um, but what I would say is this: I'd say for luxury fashion, it's probably more expensive than acquiring someone for a cheaper product, mm. because when you're acquiring someone for a cheaper product, they're more likely to just buy it off on a whim. They're more likely to buy it as an impulse purchase, but with a luxury product or a high involvement purchase like a house or a car or a 4,000 pound handbag. That's something that you call a high involvement purchase. And a high involvement purchase means you involve yourself with a lot of time, with a lot of effort, comparing the different brands, comparing the different competitors Mm -hmm. and understanding which one can offer you the best value and reducing your cognitive dissonance, which is basically cognitive discomfort, discomfort in your mind, your feeling of, Oh, I I made the wrong decision. We want to prevent it, um, so yeah. For Farfetch, the cost of acquisition, um, because of luxury fashion, and because we're advertising on quite costly channels like Facebook and Google, you know, it is going to be a little bit higher. Whereas if you're advertising on you know low cost channels, and you can afford to advertise on long tail keywords which aren't popular, long tail keywords are like instead of me advertising against black Prada handbag, I advertise against uh, luxury black handbag from italy that's a long tail keyword because it's not as popular and it's very specific but because farfetch bids on these big you know brand terms it is a bit more costly because we're advertising on against people who are searching for prada bags yeah. people who are searching for farfetch prada bags brand keywords generic keywords luxury fashion handbag we're bidding on all of these terms on google ads but also on facebook and instagram which is a cheaper channel um we are probably spent i'd say the, the cost of acquisition on Uh, channels depends on um, how well advertising is doing and also how expensive that keyword or that type of platform is so for example on google ads prada as a keyword is very very costly it's very expensive (laughs) Google will more money for that keyword um, other keywords aren't aren't costing as much Um, there is something called programmatic advertising which is the automated buying and selling of media in real time and programmatic has uh, custom algorithms which we can deploy as well so instead of be saying i want to optimize for a sale i can say i want to optimize for a sale add to cart view content as well and assign a weighting to each different thing that somebody does and tell the algorithm hey people who buy from us score best but people who add to cart score a little bit less people who view our website score the least but still they're quite valuable and over time it starts building up score profiles and it starts finding people who, who it should bid on Kind of like a lookalike sort of process <laughs> and the algorithm. But that's that's the that's the sort of stuff we do to minute to maximize to minimize the cost of sale or the or the cost of acquisition, the CAC, they call it CAC, customer acquisition cost um, in the business. So find ways to optimize the spend of our media, which is what I do. One of my one of my key jobs is to find models and find algorithms and find ways of working with technology and data to reduce the cost of acquisition of a customer because of the use of tech. So I don't don't manage the campaigns at Farfetch, but I work with the campaign managers to use technology and data and algorithms in a way that helps us to optimize our budget for the best results. Fantastic,
0: oh my God yeah yeah you're like a wizard (laughs) it's like sam you're a wizard there you go oh brilliant now no worries no worries look so i have to ask now this is gonna be like my final question like (laughs) like i've just let you like run free (laughs) it's like yeah like where would you like your journey to go say in the next three to five years, because like, look, you've got, like you've got this sort of, you've got this sort of pent up energy. You, you're ready to go. I can feel it. I don't know why, but I can feel it. Come on.
1: Yeah. Um, I would say I've developed a, an, an extremely good reputation across advertising. And I get, I get people messaging me all the time around a job's open here. Mm-hmm. And open up here. Let's go for a coffee. Let's go for food because of my, I have a reputation because of, I believe that being genuine is really important in life and important in uh, in a career as well. Being genuine is important, but also being a hard worker and having people's backs. I believe in teamwork. Yeah. I work best as a team. And wherever I go, I try to go above and beyond what people want from me. I try to break my back for people. I try and be a kind person, a nice person, because that isn't it's not because I want something later on. It's because I want to be a nice person because I don't have a good feeling when someone's annoyed from my actions. I love making people happy, right? Mm. And I believe that it's a fundamental human need anyway. Um, and so now my career, my reputation is taking me back into media from far-fetched because I got I got kind of got poached, right? I would say in the next three to five years, I want to be known as one of the best people in the world of what I do. I want to be known as one of the kindest and most hardworking people in media and advertising. And You know, I kind of get told at work and by my colleagues that you know I'm inspiring, I'm proactive, I'm positive, I'm driven, and um, I think my attitude is the key thing that sets me apart from anybody who might be interviewing other candidates. Because I have, I have a, I have a belief that anything is possible if you have a positive mindset and if you work hard. Now, I don't believe absolutely anything is possible ever. I mean, anything is possible versus. Your mindset be negative, if, if that makes sense. So, you've got more yeah. opportunity coming to you from the universe if you're positive and if you're driven than if you're lazy and negative. I yeah. never like, I, I try to not be negative. We all have negative thoughts, right? I have my days, but my fundamental mindset is positivity and looking forward and looking at being ambitious. In the next three to five years, I want to be talking to people and advising them on what they should do with their businesses, my friends and family, and maybe, maybe my own clients. I wanna be working on the best technology, the cutting edge artificial intelligence and algorithms that we're using in campaigns to optimize for big clients across all industries. I wanna be managing a team. I wanna be leading people, I wanna be a leader um, because I think that I've got very high emotional intelligence and very intuitive understanding of human beings. And I believe I'll be a great leader for people. Um, And I'd love to make people grow and make them happier and make them more competent at their jobs as well. So the two key areas of a job is soft skills and competence. I have competence, I believe, but I've also got soft skills. So I know strategy, but I also know how it works. I know how to talk about advertising, but I can also run my Facebook campaigns and Google campaigns and do the analytics myself. Obviously not to the same degrees as someone who's full-time in each area, but still, I know how to connect everything together. And that's why I was hired at Firefetch, was to bring these silos together into one place, Mm-hmm. and offer my guidance and strategies to what we should do and implement it so i'm currently looking at let's say not a million pounds but close close to close to that trajectory of a million pounds we've got a tool internally which we're trying to replace at the moment at five inch i can't say which tool it is um, but it's going to power our marketing for the future and i'm looking at tools which we can replace that with which are intuitive which help us target in a much better way for the future. Um, so, yeah, I think I want to be leader in marketing technology. I want to be leader in terms of mindset and leadership skills and uh, attitude. And I want to be an example for people as to what a marketer should be overall, which is focus on consumer psychology, focus on technology, focus on data, but also focus on collaboration, which makes everything happen in, 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 that, in that whole industry. Or in, in your job, collaboration is the most important thing, I think.
0: Mm, yeah, indeed. Indeed. No all oh, very good poignant points I've mm-hmm. got to say yeah like with regards to the realms of technology and where it's going especially in the realms of mark like well, in the realms of marketing and sort of targeting and basically uh, having that sort of magic power to know what I want every single day which scares me sometimes <laughs> it's like,
1: we can't we can't actually predict exactly what you want every single day but what we can do is get closer to predicting your future behavior based on the signals of your past. Yeah, well I'd like put it this way. Like it's damn freaking accurate. <laughs> I tell you that now. <laughs> so you're gonna be you're gonna be bankrupt in the next few
0: years then. I'll uh, put it this way. No, like I will not be bankrupt. I will just have to devise a way of making more money or just get rid of technology to a assert. We yeah, well, yes. <laughs> but nevertheless, yeah, just as long as I've got a mic and yeah, a mixer and an internet connection, I will be fine. <laughs> I'm sure you will. Yeah, 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 I'm sure like I'm bet you that's when they start advertising new mixes to me. No, don't take me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, oh my lord, Sam. Oh wow. Good God. <laughs> you have given me you have supplied me with a wealth of knowledge. You have supplied the people out there with a wealth of knowledge. And Doesn't... I think, yeah, if they can use hey, a small percentage of this, they might be able to start something pretty spectacular uh you know you never know where it can I go hope so. yeah, yeah nice little seeds there ah yeah. boom love it love it uh sam yeah like i've got to say thank you for coming on today you have been a star a superstar fantastic yay thank you,
1: thank you very much yeah I, I really um i really appreciate it this is actually my first ever podcast i've been i on. know
0: it's- <laughs> it's <okay. laughs> yeah. hopefully this
1: can be the the first and best one that i've ever produced
0: well, wow, like, this is the thing, Sam. I will be getting you back on in the near future, I'm sure. Because, like, yeah, look, I just feel like I've scraped only the surface uh, of the knowledge you, like, contain. Look, we didn't even yes, go I've got on to... a lot of knowledge to... across yeah. different
1: areas. D- the gym being a big one.
0: Ah, uh, look, look at him. Giving out the gun show. Is that, yeah? It's like, look, look at the gun.
1: I-, I have to say it, man. I have to say it, look. <laughs> I've got a lot yeah. of knowledge around health and around nutrition and getting into the gym as well. I put on 20 kilos within four, three to four years, I think. Yeah, that's gonna not be recently, but when I started in the gym. So I've got a lot of knowledge around that, which I'd love to share. Yeah,
0: that's to be a conversation for another day. Not right <laughs> now. <laughs> <So> not right <laughs> <Exactly>. now. <laughs> got to exactly. tap him up later. <laughs> yeah. Can you tell the lovely people how they can find you out there on these interwebs?
1: yeah you can find me on you can find me on instagram as 5am sing so 5 underscore am underscore s-i-n-g-h because i'm seek so sing then on linkedin sam matharu as it will be written in in this uh apple podcast anyway and uh, those are the two main places you can find me ping me message and I'm, i'll be happy to help my email address is samraj.matharu so sierra alpha i'm not very good with the word so Mother, Romeo, Alpha, Juliet, so Sam Raj, Full Stop, Matharu. Um, Mother, Al- Aaron, Thomas, Harry. Aaron, Roger, Umbrella, Matharu. Uh, hotmail.co.uk. And I'm sure we'll put it in the uh, description anyway afterwards. But All yeah, of this is the bad use of uh, alphabet annunciations. Uh,
0: denun- uh, yeah, no worries. All of it, this will go into the show notes, into the description. So, yes, go find Sam. Get Get in contact with him if it's like a case of marketing yes he will be able to tell you not like fitness and nutrition don't go to him for that yet i have got to, get to back. yes, yes. like exactly. yes give it a few weeks months who knows he'll be back <laughs> i'm sure
1: i I'm, I'm i will be it's oh. been a pleasure it's been being a pleasure being interviewed by you you're full of energy and um, you're a very genuine and lively person so you brighten my day
0: oh, oh oh what can i say oh, oh, oh that's, that's oh that's so nice like you know what uh, Sam, I won't send you a check because I, I won't, I won't, I won't belittle it with the rubber check joke because yes, I do not have the money to pay you anyway. That's another story. Yeah, that's <laughs> oh, thank you, Sam. Pleasure. Uh, let me just say to you, my friends, my life warriors, who've stuck with us till the very end, thank you very much. Please stay well, stay safe, be awesome, be excellent, be fantastic. Be all the positive bees you can be in this world and then some. Have a great day, guys. Ah, Peace and love to you. Yes. And we are.